Grab your study guide. We are going to jump right into our topic this morning. I'm glad you guys have not been dodging this series. It would be easy to do, knowing that every week we're covering some subject matters that uh, may be a little personal. But, you know, this series, My Big Fat Mouth, is just, we're just talking about when our mouth gets us in trouble. James chapter 1 is where we started. Our, our words and, and what we say is tremendous, uh, tremendously influential and impactful. Uh, last week we looked at three of the Ten Commandments that all had to do with how we speak to one another. Uh, today, if you'll notice on our on your study guide, we're going to talk about three communication killers. Look at them real quick. I'm going to start uh, by going through these the definitions. We kind of know what they are, but it's important. Complaining, gossiping, criticizing. What what do they mean? What do we what should we not be doing? Okay, complaining is when we're annoyed with or grumbling about life circumstances. Some of you are already feeling guilty because you've been complaining already this morning, right? Okay, we're going to be talking about that, griping and grumbling and so on and so forth. The next one is gossiping. This is when we share sensitive, sometimes unsubstantiated secrets about others. When I teach, one of the first things I do is I go and I check what have I said in the past about these particular subjects. And what I discovered this week is in 24 years as the pastor of Bay Hills, not once have I ever preached about gossiping. Can you believe that? 24 years. And I thought, that's why we have so much gossiping. Okay. <laughs> or maybe it's just all the former Baptists that are with us, right? They're just, oh, hey, hey, sorry about that. I'm, I grew up Baptist, so I could say that about us, right? We're really good at that sometimes. The third one is criticizing. This is to find fault to judge unfairly, to nitpick, to constantly point out mistakes. Can, can, can you see one of those three that maybe the person next to you has to really stop doing? Okay, so let's jump in and let's get into this. The first thing we're going to talk, uh, talk about, I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, stop complaining. Go ahead and tell them, stop complaining. Say it like you mean it. There are different types of complainers. That's right, Bev, you tell them, stop complaining, sit down. Okay, there's the dripping faucet, nag you to death, the martyr, everyone's against me, the cynic, nothing will ever go better, go right, the perfectionist, that's not good enough, the whiner, it's just not fair, and the wet blanket, that won't work, you know, we're supposed to get up in the morning and think to ourselves and say, good morning, Lord, but some of us get up and we're like, good Lord, it's morning, right? (laughs) Just complaining and whining from the moment we get out of bed, right? There, uh, what I've tried to do is I'm going to start out by giving you some motivations why you should stop complaining. There's three reasons to stop complaining. Reason number one is it's relationally, it's exhausting. There are relational reasons to stop complaining. Now, I've given you the references. Oh, oh my goodness. I've given you the references. You can look them up later. Uh, I'm just going to read to you what Proverbs 21, 19 says. Listen carefully. It is better to live alone in the desert than with a complaining, quarrelsome spouse. And all God's people said, right? Or well, a classmate or a boss or a coworker or a neighbor. Oh my goodness gracious, it's draining. It's like this monk who joined a monastery. He joined the monastery and he took a vow of silence for 10 years, complete silence. He met with his superior after 10 years of silence and the, and and his superior said, okay, you've been silent for 10 years. I'm going to give you the opportunity to say one short phrase. So think very carefully what you want to say. And so the monk said this bed hard. (laughs) 
And then another 10 years of silence. And after the second 10 years of silence, he met with his superior and the superior says, I'm going to let you say a very short phrase. So think very carefully what you want to say. And he said, food bad. (laughs) And then he went a third stint of 10 years of silence, 30 years. He's going to silence. And after that last 10 years of silence, he met with his superior. The superior said, I want you, I'm going to let you say one short phrase. So whatever you say, be very careful. What do you want to say? He said, I quit. And the superior says, you know, it doesn't surprise me. Ever since you've been here, you've done nothing but complain. (laughs) Isn't it true? I mean, there are some people that just brighten up a room when they leave. When they leave, get out of the room. It just drives us crazy. Do you realize if you're a complainer, a whiner, a grumbler, you are just wearing us down. It's not fun to live with, work with, hang out with a complainer. So relationally, stop it. There's a second reason, psychological reason to to stop. Um, Paul tells us in Philippians 4, I want you to think about things that are good and noble and right and honest, all those things. But some of us, because we crumble and complain and whine, we get focused on all the other things. Dr. Travis Bradbury, he's the guy that wrote the book Emotional Intelligence, a fairly significant book in the last decade. He said this, when we repeatedly complain, three things happen to us. Number one, it actually hardwires our brain so that we become more cynical about life. Some psychologist says it's literally a chemical change that a change that happens within you if you're constantly complaining. Number two, you create negative self-fulfilling prophecies in your mind. So you are literally creating problems for yourself. And the third, if you constantly complain, this doesn't make sense. It, it makes sense. It causes you to grumble and gripe even more. It's not just psychological. It's chemical. You are continually griping and whining and being that negative person, I guarantee you five years from now, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, it'll be multiplied and you'll be even worse. Of course, the one that I'm most interested in talking to you about is the spiritual reasons to stop complaining. Um, if you're jotting it down, write this reference, Numbers 11.1. Numbers 11.1. I, I added that late in my study time because I thought it was significant. Just listen to what Numbers... 11.1 says, now the people complained about their hardships. Now, Numbers 11 is speaking of a time when God's people had left Egypt. He was taking them to the promised land, but they had this period in between where they were in the wilderness. And when they're in the wilderness, when you read their story, they were constantly griping, grumbling, and complaining. Oh my goodness, they were complaining because they had to live in tents instead of a house. They were complaining because they didn't like their clothes. They were complaining especially because they didn't like the food that they always had to eat. Always complaining and grumbling. Numbers 11, now the people complained about their hardships. And that verse actually adds, in the presence of God. And then it says this. And God heard them and his anger was aroused. His anger was was aroused. I think we have the slide. Let's put it up there. Yes? No? No, we don't. Oh, that's right. I don't have it. Philippians 2. So here's what you need to understand. You complain more, God gets angry. Got that? You complain more, God gets angry. Numbers 11.1. Now listen to Philippians 2. Philippians 2.14 and 15. Do everything without grumbling, complaining, or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without finding fault 
in a warped and crooked generation. So watch. Numbers 11. Complain more, God gets ticked off. Exodus actually tells us, Moses says, you don't realize it, but when you complain indirectly, you're complaining and grumbling about God. Indirectly, you're basically going, do you even know what you're doing? Complain more, God gets upset. Complain less, it is actually part of the discipleship process, the spiritual growth process within you. You know you're becoming more spiritually mature if you complain less. You know, it's interesting because the context of Philippians 2 is important. Paul writes the book to the church of Philippi in what is possibly the worst period of his life. If he's got something to complain about, it's what's going on in his life in Philippians chapter 2. And and, and here's, here's the issue. He has had at the top of his bucket list what he most wanted to do, to travel to Rome and to preach in Rome. He believes if I can preach in Rome, if I can preach to the leaders of the world, which at the time lived in Rome, then the gospel is going to spread like wildfire throughout the the Roman Empire. I want to preach in Rome. Well, he got his wish to go to Rome, but he didn't go as a preacher. He went as a prisoner. Instead of preaching, never preached one sermon in Rome. He was in a dungeon chained to a Roman guard 24 hours a day. If you ever go to Rome, you can literally visit the dungeon of Paul. Old, stinky, wet, cold dungeon. If there's ever a moment when he had the opportunity to complain, it was Philippians. And yet even in that situation, Philippians 2 do everything without grumbling or complaining. Now, right now you should be going, okay, I'm I'm at least motivated to try, but how do I do this? Let me show you how to do this. Two things. If you can change your circumstances, then go for it. In other words, stop complaining about your marriage if there's something you can do to fix it. Stop complaining about your job if you could put a resume together and find another job. Stop complaining about your church if you can do something about it and improve it. Stop complaining about the school your kids are going to if you could join and make a difference. If there's things you can change, stop complaining and do something about it. Bring your A game and do something. It's just like this guy in the Old Testament. His name was Nehemiah. And he was really upset that his hometown... Jerusalem, the walls had been broken down. They were torn down. Instead of griping and whining about it, you know what he did? He got a bunch of people together and they rebuilt it. So it's, it's, if you can change it, do something. Now, here's the reality though. Sometimes you can't change it, can you? Sometimes I, there's things at home, things at work, things in my life I can't change. They're out of, literally out of my control. What do we do then? The key there is now you have to change your perspective. You have to look at life differently. To look at life differently. Let's put these next two verses up there. Philippians 2 and Philippians 1. Both give an idea and a context. Now notice Philippians 2. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice. Now that is unique to that day and and time. So if, if you and I are presenting a sacrifice to God, imagine that, right? You're presenting the sacrifice. We're burning something to present as a sacrifice to him. Then they would take, if you, if you had a little bit of money, you'd take a drink offering, something expensive like perfume or wine, and you would pour it on top of the sacrifice. So imagine putting water on a sauna. On the rocks of a sun. Remember what happened? So you do that, and what happens to that water? It sizzles, and then the steam rises. So what Paul is saying is that my life 
It's like that steam. My life is literally being burned up. My life stinks, right? And so I I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice. And God is receiving my sacrifice, the steam. In other words, my life stinks. Even if I'm being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. You see, now, Paul, that's that's you say that kind of garbage and that ticks me off. How can I possibly be happy about my life if it stinks? How can I be glad and rejoice? Well, the key is he changed his perspective. He changes mentality about his own life. Here's the key. The key is introduced to us in the first couple chapters of the book of Philippians. He makes sure we all understand it. And here it comes in Philippians chapter one. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. So he's changed his perspective and here's the change he made and you need to make if you want to complain less. You need to finally understand that the hero in your story is not you. It's Jesus. What should be center of your life is not you. It should be Jesus. If you are the center of your life story, then I'm telling you, everything that happens bad to you, you'll think, yeah, this sucks. But if Jesus is the center of your story, you will look at it from a new set of perspective and try and figure out how is God glorified through that situation. So Paul does that and he starts to realize, you know, I wanted to go to Rome to preach. And guess what he realized and discovered? When I am in that prison, every four hours I have a new guard chained to me who can't get away. So guess what I do for four hours? I tell him about Jesus. What he discovered is that the people in the church of Asia Minor were all being encouraged because of his response to being in prison. So here's the point. You want to complain less? If you can change your circumstances, do it. Go for it. If you can't change your circumstances, you need to change your perspective. Now, here's the key. Either way, you have to have an attitude of gratitude. Either way. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 16 through 18, rejoice always same concept pray continually now notice give thanks in all circumstances not for all circumstances he doesn't say that that would be absolutely ridiculous because there are things that happen to you that are not good they're not healthy they're evil they're hurtful how can i be thankful for what happened to me you don't have to be thankful for what happened to you you have to be thankful in spite of what happened to you you have to be grateful in spite of having several areas in your life that are not going well now right and if they're not going well he tells you what to do about it pray about it pray about it okay so the first principle the first communication killer is stop complaining here's the second one stop gossiping turn to the person next to you and say stop gossiping Go ahead, say it. Tell them like you mean it. Stop gossiping. That's right. Tell someone tell Tammy. She's not participating. Okay? Stop gossiping. Romans chapter 1, verses 28 through 30. They do what ought not be done. So what should we not do? Look at what Paul does. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, of evil, greed, depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossips. Slanders, God haters, insolent. There's an old 
preacher story about these three pastors that got together for a meal one time. And one of the pastors says, you know, our people, they come to us to, to unload. They come to us to, to confess their sins and their vices. They come to us because confession is healthy for the soul. And, but who do we go to? We should, we should confess to one another. That would be good. That would be healthy. So they all agree. Okay, we'll confess to one another. What is our sins? What are our vices? So they ask the first pastor, well, what, what do you, well, what's your sin? What's your vice? He goes, well, I really like me some brandy. Oh, I love, love to drink brandy, especially in between services. Mm, it's delicious, right? And they're like, oh, that's horrible. We will pray for you, right? Then the next pastor, they go, well, what about you? He says, oh, I like to gamble. I'm not talking like, you know, gambling with just quarters and nickels, poker. I, I'm big time gamble. I love to gamble, right? I drive to Reno. I go gambling all the oh, Gamble, we will pray for you. Right. Third pastor, they go, well, what's your sin? What's your vice? He goes, I, I don't want to say. They go, well, that's not fair. We shared ours. You got to share. He goes, I don't, I don't know. I want to sh- What's your vice? What's your sin? He says, well, okay, I'll tell you. My sin, my vice, he says, I love to gossip. I can't wait to get out of here and tell other people about you. <laughs> Is it just me? Or do when we think gossip, we're like, yeah, that's kind of one of the accepted sins amongst Christians. It's not that big a deal. I mean, it's not like one of the bad ones. Except when you look at Romans 1, you see it on the screen there? He puts gossip in the same list he has murder. In the same list he has God-haters. You know what? Maybe we're minimizing how serious it really is in God's eyes. Like I told you, I, I, I realized I, I may have read verses about gossip in 24 years. I've never preached on it. So I, I went and I started to study not only what is gossip, but why do we do it? Why, why do we do it? There, there's, there's, there's three or four reasons. Now, take your study. If you're not jotting down notes, I don't care. But you're going to need the verses because I don't have them for you on the screen. There's four reasons why we gossip. Number one is I can't keep a secret. That's why I gossip. Proverbs 11, verse 3. A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. I don't know why it is. Maybe you're like me. I always thought gossip is when we spread untruth. It's not true. You know, you should have checked and it's not complete. Actually, while that may be part of gossip, I could say something to you. Hey, did you hear about, you know, Julia or whatever? And what I say to you is 100% true. But it still qualifies as gossip because I don't have permission to share something with you that was said to me in confidence. Does that make sense? So if it's a secret, if I shouldn't be sharing that information with you, it qualifies as gossip. Proverbs twenty nineteen starts the same way. A gossip betrays a confidence. Now notice, suggestion, he says. So avoid anyone who talks too much. I have good friends that I love to hang out with. Uh, and uh, I intentionally do not tell them confidential information. Do you know why? Because I've discovered over time they can't keep their mouth shut. It's just too good to, to not share with someone. So there are some friends that I have that do not get personal information or church information because I know they can't keep a confidence. The next reason... We gossip is because it's entertaining. Let's just be honest. It's, it's fun. Look at, look at Proverbs 18.8 from the New Living Translation. Rumors are dainty morsels that sink deep into one's heart. Look at this next verse. Proverbs 26.22, Good News Translation. Gossip is so tasty. 
Did you, did you hear the real reason Paul got fired? Did you hear Sandra? I think she's pregnant. I know. Look at her. Oh my goodness. Did you hear Deneen? She drank too much vodka at the Super Bowl party. She was lost. <laughs> That's why we do it, because it's fun. That's why we do it. Right? It's why there's such a thing called gossip column. Because people like that. It's why TMZ is so popular. Because we feed on it. We don't even need to know if it's completely true. It's just fun to hear about other people and the mistakes they made and whatever, what have you. It's entertaining. The second, the third reason is because that I gossip is I like to stir the pot, not smoke the pot. That's a different issue. This is stir the pot. Okay. Stir the pot are people that love to create conflict. Yeah. You know, people like that. It's like they like drama. They like tension. And so they almost go out of their way to create it. This is very interesting. Proverbs 26, 20 through 23. Wood, uh, without wood, a fire goes out, right? Unless you have a Duraflame. They didn't have them in those days. In those days, that's all they had for fire. Without wood, a fire goes out. That makes sense. Now watch. Without a gossip, quarrels die down. So some of us gossip just because, yeah, we like to stir the pot. We like to create some conflict in the family, at work, at school, at church. And just to make sure we got it, as charcoal to embers and wood is to fire, so is a quarrelsome person for kindling strife. So that's why it's so fun to share at small group. Because it's not about prayer requests, it's about creating drama. Oh, snap, it got quiet. It seems like the Holy Spirit is working. I know I'm preaching good when it gets really quiet. (laughs) Okay, last one is I'm a bit self-righteous. Now, just to make sure you understand what self-righteousness is. Self-righteousness is me or you wanting to come across to others as more godly, more spiritual. I love Jesus more than they do. Now, there's two ways to do that if you want to be self-righteous. Either you literally start following God more, obeying God more, Or you can become self-righteous, not by you becoming a better follower of Christ. I just need to make sure that you guys all know about all those other people and how they're not living for Christ. Either way, that's self-righteousness. Does that make sense? Now look, look at what Psalm 101 says. Whoever slanders their neighbor in secret. Now let me tell you why I chose this verse. Uh, one of the things that I do when I'm studying is I look at verses in different versions and translations. The reason I do that is because the Bible is written in Hebrew and in Greek. And so English translators, sometimes they come across a word that they're not sure how to translate. So different translations gives us different words and it gives us a fuller perspective of what the original writing and author meant. So what's interesting and what I discovered very, very quickly is in, in the scripture, the word gossip and slander are used interchangeably. Biblical writers essentially means the same thing. Now go back to Psalm 101. Whoever slanders or gossips about their neighbor in secret, God is speaking, says, I will put them to silence. Whoever has, here it comes, haughty eyes and a proud heart. That's the very definition of self-righteousness. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, I will not tolerate read this story about a church gossip. Her name was Audrey Jones. Every church seems to have at least one good church gossip, right? 
And Audrey Jones, she always was poking her nose in everyone else's business, right? She always wanted to, she was the keeper of morality at the church, right? And she was constantly saying things and talking and making up things or saying things. And people did not like that she did that, but they were a little afraid of her, so they didn't say anything to her. Well, one day she started, she started spreading uh, a rumor and gossip about one of the new members in church. His name was George. And she said to people, you know what? I think he's an alcoholic. I'm pretty sure he's an alcoholic. Well, how do you know that? Well, because I heard that his pickup truck was parked in front of the only bar in town. And it was there all night. So I know what he was doing. Of course, it has to be that. He's got to be an alcoholic that I mentioned. It was there all night. George didn't say much to her. He just kind of looked at her. He didn't defend himself. He didn't explain himself. He didn't deny nothing. He just walked away and he came up with a little plan to maybe encourage her to be quiet. And what he did that night is he drove to her house and he parked his pickup truck in front of her house and left it there all night. Sorry, I shouldn't have blown a kiss to you. That was inappropriate. It just felt like I should do something. You know, gossip has a way to come back and bite you. And whether it's literal or God gets you, not good, not cool. Now, there is a place to share sensitive information. There is a time to say, hey, I heard this. I need your input or I heard that and I need support. So I'm not saying that you always have to bite your tongue. What I'm saying is that you ought not gossip and gossip is what you see on the screen. It's when you're sharing something that is confidential and you shouldn't. You're sharing because you're just kind of trying to get a kick out of it and it's fun. You're sharing because you're trying to just create drama and tension. Or you're sharing and down deep you discover it's really because you're making yourself out to be better than you are. That's not right. It's not good. It's not cool. Okay? God doesn't take kindly to it. So stop complaining, number one. Stop gossiping, number two. Number three, let's put it up on the screen. Turn to the person next to you and say, stop criticizing. Go ahead and tell them, stop criticizing. There you go. Tammy's participating now. Very good. Okay. I am not talking about constructive feedback. I'm not talking about helpful coaching or intentional parenting. There are different situations and scenarios where you have to critique. You have to bring up issues, right? I am talking about nitpicking, fault finding, unfair and hurtful comments, right? Now, some of you right now are like, oh, I sure hope my spouse is listening. Or I'm going to get this link. I'm sending it to my boss. He really needs to hear this, right? Could I just remind you the name of this series is called My Big Fat Mouth, not Their Big Fat Mouth, okay? <laughs> this is God talking to you. You want to know what's difficult about criticism? You want to know what it is? It's very hard to self-diagnose. Like pride. It's very hard to self-diagnose. It, it, it's, you know, when someone criticizes us, what do we think? Well, who the heck are they? Right? They, they, don't even, they don't even know the whole story. They don't have a right to criticize me. But when we criticize others, right? About how they drive, about how they work, about what they do on social media, about their parenting, about how they use their money, about all that we feel ourselves to be justified because we know better. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, 14 through 15, the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love 
your neighbor as yourself. You know, most of the times what we like to do on a Sunday morning is we like to take a passage and look carefully at the verses and carefully at the theme and kind of get in the weeds and look at it. But every once in a while, it's important to take like 20 steps back and get the big picture of what something is saying. Well, this is the big picture. Here's you guys want to know what the Bible is about. You want to know how to treat people. Here it comes. Love others like you love yourself. There it is. Just go do that. That's it. And then he adds. The whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another with your words. Watch out. Beware of destroying one another. I don't know if you've seen the movie. It's, it's called The Darkest Hour. It's a movie that's out in the theater. It's not out in a lot of theaters, but it's, a, it's the, the story of Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was the prime minister of England uh, during World War II. And maybe why I enjoyed it so much is when I, I went to a British school. I didn't go to an American high school. So I didn't take U.S. history, U.S. government. I took British history and government. And one of the things that we studied was World War II, and in particular, Winston Churchill. Um, you know, he's like a superstar guy now. Everybody thinks, oh, Winston Churchill. But at the time, he was highly criticized. Even the, the parliament was against him. They, did, they were not, everybody, let's make peace with Hitler. And he's like, there's no way, right? And now he was proven to be right. But at the time, people were against him. And the story is told that he was talking with a bunch of uh, MPs, members of parliament, and it was like this tea hour or something. And this lady came up to him and said, Mr. Mr. Churchill, if I were your wife, I would poison your tea. And Churchill said, you know what, ma'am? If I were your husband, I would drink that tea. (laughs) Don't you wish you had those quick comebacks, right? You think about it like a day later. Ah, I should have said that. The, the thing about criticism is that even if you're trying to be helpful, even if you're accurate, what you don't realize, what I don't realize many times is that it's hurtful. It's hurtful. Proverbs twelve eighteen. Let's put it on the screen. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. So which one are you? Cutting remarks? Or healing remarks. Let me try and break it down for you. Let's put this on the screen. It's not in your study guide. But real quickly. Which column are you in? Are you someone that tears down? Or are you someone that builds up? Are you someone that is a life taker? Or are you a life giver? Are you a confidence shaker? Or are you a confidence builder? Are you a fault finder? Or are you a hope dealer? Are you more like the Pharisees? Or are you more like Jesus? You know, what's interesting is that the Pharisees and Jesus, when they talked to the crowd, they Jesus and the Pharisees had the same issues with the people, same issues, same things they wanted to work on. But when the Pharisees spoke, they were hurtful and cutting and degrading. Jesus spoke about the exact same things, but somehow or another, he was motivating and encouraging. Which one are you? Let me ask it a little bit different. How would your family rank you, especially if they knew that you weren't going to see the score? How would your coworkers rank you? How would your classmates rank you? Do your words cut? Do they sting? Or they bring hope and encouragement? Do they build up? 
Of course, there are times that maybe your position or maybe your role, you do have to say certain things about critiquing. What I want to do is to wrap up. It's in your study guide. I do not have it for you on the screen, but filter questions before you criticize. Filter questions before you criticize. In other words, if you're going to say something, you need to run it through this, this filter, these different areas. I don't have the question on the screen. I just have the category. So look at your study guide. You got to check your tone. Is the attitude of your voice helpful or positive? Because sometimes just start there. If you're saying it, but you say it with a a certain tone, it's not going to get through. It's not going to get through. Then, of course, you start talking about the words that you actually speak. Are, are the words you're using accusatory? Are the words negative? Are, are they you statements? If they are, I'm telling you, it's not going to connect as well. Your motive. Are you coaching and correcting for the right reasons? Let me give you an example. Parents, when you correct your kids, why do you do it? Are you doing it because they did something in the supermarket that embarrasses you? Oh, I sure hope no one's watching. Is it about you? Or is it about wanting your kid to grow up to be responsible and mature? Which one is it? Because that's all motive. It's all motive. Why are you saying something? Relationship. This is a big one. Do you have the right relational right to critique? See, you can go up to someone and be 100% accurate. And your tone can be perfect and your words can be perfect. But if you don't have the right relationally to speak into their life, they're going to be like, well, who the heck are you? I don't know you from nothing. And and what's going to happen is when you do that, not only will your critique not actually get to their heart or their minds, they'll ignore you for a long time. You have to have a, a, a right relationally to speak into their life. Timing. When will they be most receptive to hear you? Timing is an issue. So just just by way of example, ladies, if you want to say something to your husband, right? This afternoon at 3.30 is probably not a good time to bring it up. I'm just saying, right? It's a Super Bowl for some of those you don't know. But having said that, guys, some of us come across and there's never the right time. We always got something going. So it goes both ways. Right. The next one is frequency. Are you encouraging four times as often as you criticize and critique? This is what is commonly called in in leadership circles, the encouragement sandwich. You you can't always be criticizing, critiquing. You have to because we're human beings. We're human beings. and, and, And for every one critique, you better be given four encouragements. And if you're not, I'm telling you. Your well-intentioned critique is not being heard. And or you're coming across as critical and a fault finding. And the last one and the most important one, is it actually helpful? Are you pointing out mistakes or is there actually something constructive they can do to make a difference? Because just pointing out a mistake doesn't really help anything. Come up with a solution or give them an opportunity or time to, to make some changes. You've got to filter your critique through these, these questions, okay? So here's our summary slide. Let's put it up on the screen, okay? There's a couple things that you could do. Now, notice on the left side of the screen, complain less, gossip less, criticize less. I'm, I, I realize you can't just completely eliminate those things. But can we all do less of that, huh? What do you think? Are you sure? Some of you just want to go have lunch where well, I'm not going to let you go. 
Can we all do some less of that? Yes? Okay, here we go. Now, what I also want to do is not just do less of something, but what am I going to do more of? So complain less, appreciate more, be thankful. Okay, be grateful. Let me give you a very personal example of something that happened to me this week. This week, Wednesday night, uh, I lost my wallet. I know, it's still lost. I feel bad for him. He's alone, he's cold, he doesn't know where I am, right? (laughs) I still can't find it. And for like 36 hours, I was going crazy, right? I'm like, where the heck is it? I still can't find it. And then right in the middle of the study, I got to this section right in here, right? Because I was kind of complaining. I was frustrated slash complaining, grumbling. And then I, I realized one of the things that was helpful to me in my mind is not to just focus on what I'd lost that week, my wallet. And it's a pain, right? Thinking about replacing all the things in your wallet. I started to think about all the things I didn't lose that week. I didn't lose my phone. Feel good about that. I didn't lose my laptop. That would be horrendous, right? I didn't lose my health. I didn't lose any loved one this week. And you start thinking about all the things that I didn't lose this week. And I'm still, am I allowed to be frustrated about the wallet? Of course I am. Things happen in life and we're allowed to be frustrated. But what are you going to spend all of your time focusing on? Complain less about the wallets that you lose in your life and appreciate more and be thankful about all the good things you still have. Second thing is gossip less. Gossip less. One of the things I also do when I study is I look at a thesaurus. I want to see other words that have to do the same thing with gossip. And they gave a lot of synonyms for gossip. But they also, at the bottom of the page, give antonyms. An antonym is something that is the opposite of a word. What was very interesting is they could hardly come up with anything for gossip. Like, be quiet. But that's not really gossip. That's not really the opposite. I do know what the opposite of gossip is from a biblical standpoint. And you see it on the screen. Gossip less, pray more. You want to you wanna chirp about other people? Can I give you a suggestion? Instead of talking to the person next to you about someone else, talk to God about them first. It cleans up your motives quickly. It gives you insight on what to say, what not to say, how to say it, when to say it. Talk to God first before you talk about other people. And then the last one is criticize less, compliment more. You think you guys could do that, huh? Now, you want to know the people that most need to do that? The people who are going crazy because the word compliment is misspelled. <laughs> and you know who you are. I watched you. Pastor, spell the word wrong. <laughs> Those of you who were thinking that, right? Some of you are, uh, we, we go to public school. We're like, I don't know that was misspelled. What is that? I think it looks just fine. <laughs> no. Let me show you how to spell it correctly. Let's put it up. There it should be. There we go. So all of you who were going crazy. It was a good sermon right until then. (laughs) You need to stop criticizing. Chill out a little bit. Okay? Three words. Appreciate, pray, compliment. Which one of those do you need to do most? Appreciate, pray, compliment. Do you you guys know which one you're going to work on? Do you go, no? Do you know? Tell the person next. You go and we'll wrap up. That's it. I'm out of here.